You're listening to audio from Stapleton Baptist Church. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit stapletonbaptistchurch.org. We pray this message blesses you. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 10 this morning to a passage that I believe will be an incredible blessing and encouragement to every believer here this morning as we discover what it means for Jesus to be our good shepherd. And I want us to begin by reading this passage in its entirety before we unpack it. So begin reading with me in John 10, verse 1. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. I love how Jesus continues here to speak in terms that literally anyone could understand. Jesus could have taught a master class on communication. He spoke directly to his audience using language and everyday examples. What, what an incredible truth it is that He is the Word of God incarnate. He could have spoke in ways and communicated in ways that would be far too grand for us to even possibly comprehend. And yet, Jesus continues speaking about things like light and water and bread. And here, he now uses one of the most well-known metaphors of the Gospels, and that is of the Good Shepherd of sheep and shepherds. And I know there's many people today that could live their whole lives without coming into contact with livestock or or being around farms, but for the people Jesus was speaking to, his audience would have been perfectly familiar with this imagery. And not only would they have understood what he's talking about, but they would have also picked up on the spiritual undertones and history behind it. There's a history in the Old Testament of using the imagery of sheep and shepherds it's nothing new here in John's gospel. In Genesis 48, 15, Jacob describes God as have been his shepherd all his life long. And there are many psalms, of course, that refer to, 
to God being a shepherd, Psalm 23 being maybe the most famous, the Lord is my shepherd. Ezekiel 34, God refers to his people as his sheep. And then Isaiah 40, 11, it says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. So there's this long tradition in history in the scriptures of this imagery of shepherds and sheep and using that to illustrate the relationship between God and his people, usually in positive ways, sometimes in negative ways. And also notice how this chapter here, chapter 10, doesn't begin with an intro. There's no chronological marker, which would lead us to assume this is a continuation of chapter 9. So at the end of chapter 9 last week, we left off with Jesus talking to some of the Pharisees, essentially telling them that they are blind. And so this is a continuation of that conversation. And here Jesus now seizes upon this shepherding imagery And this whole teaching centers around the declaration, I am the good shepherd. And in this teaching, he begins making a clear distinction between himself and the Jewish leaders. And he'll do it by showing us three things that he, as the good shepherd, does that these other leaders do not. So three things the good shepherd does. And the first is that the good shepherd gathers his sheep. The good shepherd gathers his sheep. Jesus begins by saying, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. In Jesus' day, in many villages, there would have been families that owned uh, however many sheep they needed, and the sheep were an important source of both wool and food. And oftentimes, for convenience sake, several families would keep their sheep together in one enclosure or one sheepfold. And you can imagine that being a large circular area with a stone wall around it, and it would have one entrance, one gate or door in it. So one way in, one way out, and they would, together for convenience sake and for cost effectiveness, hire one gatekeeper, one person to watch the sheep fold. And any time the sheep weren't out at pasture, they would be contained and protected in this sheep fold. And The only reason someone would ever try to get into the sheepfold by any other route than the door would obviously be intending to cause harm. They would likely be trying to steal a sheep. It's a thief and a robber. A shepherd, on the other hand, would obviously enter by the correct door because he's authorized to be there. So the shepherd is recognized by the gatekeeper and is known because he enters in the right way. And he's also known to be the shepherd because the sheep recognize his voice. And it may seem like a problem if you have sheep from different families all in one enclosure. So how would you not get them mixed up, make sure everyone has their right sheep? I suppose they could have marked them one way or another, branded them, I guess. But one clear way that they knew whose sheep was whose was by the voice of the shepherd. From my research, uh, I can tell you that sheep are not the most amazing of God's creatures. Um, Not saying that God you know, cut them short, but uh, they're just not too incredible. They're rather defenseless. Uh, If they get knocked on their back off their feet, they often can't get back on their feet again. They're not too smart. You can Google stories of sheep walking off a a cliff in single file order. Uh, They're just not too bright. But one thing that they can do, they can be trained to recognize a voice. They can recognize the voice of a shepherd 
And so when the shepherd would come into the fold and gather his sheep, he would, he would use his call or his voice or his song, and the sheep that belonged to him would recognize it, and they would follow him out. And so what is Jesus saying here? Is he giving a, a lesson on raising and shepherding sheep? No, he's not. So what is he saying in this metaphor? Well, we know that he is the shepherd. He is the good shepherd. So who are the thieves and the robbers? The thieves and the robbers are the people he's actually talking face-to-face with, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. The thief comes into the sheepfold from a different way and with ill intent. There's no desire on their part to care for the sheep or to see the sheep flourish. They only want to use them for their own gain. And that's what these religious leaders were doing. In the Gospels, Jesus confronts them continuously on their lack of shepherding. Instead of caring for the sheep, they were using the sheep. They were heaping more burdens and traditions on the people. They grew fat and happy at the expense of the flock. They abused the system to increase their own wealth, and, and they swell with arrogant pride looking down on the people that they're supposed to serve. The good shepherd, on the other hand, comes in to care for his sheep. And here in verse 3, Jesus is describing what he's doing in his ministry. And let's expand this metaphor a little bit. Jesus is the shepherd. He comes into the sheepfold, and then he calls which sheep? Does he call all sheep? No, it says he calls his own sheep. This sheepfold right here represents the Jews. And we know that because down in verse 16, it tells us that I have sheep that are not of this fold. So other, another fold, which is referring to the Gentiles, to you and me. But even within the Jewish sheepfold, he doesn't call everyone. He calls his own sheep. And those who belong to him recognize his voice and follow him out. And this is completely consistent with what we've seen in John's gospel so far. In John 6, 37, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And he added, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me. So God has given sheep to Jesus. He calls his own sheep, and his sheep recognize his voice. And if you're saved today, it's because you've recognized the voice of the shepherd. You haven't followed after the voice of a stranger. You've responded to the call of the good shepherd. But I know in a group this size that there's maybe some of you in here that that haven't. And my prayer is that you would recognize today the voice of the shepherd and follow him. Because Jesus is still calling his sheep. He's still gathering his sheep, his people to himself as he has been for centuries. This is emphasized by the introduction of another metaphor in verse 7. Where Jesus declares, I am the door of the sheep. In other words, he's the door to salvation. He says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He says he is the door. He isn't a door. He's not a type of door. He is the door. There's no other way to salvation. Again, these I am statements are polarizing. You either believe it or you don't. There's there's no middle ground there. So Jesus gathers his sheep. In a way, you could picture all of history since the Garden of Eden as one big story of God calling out his sheep, of gathering his flock. It's God calling out and redeeming a people to himself. And usually they're just as stubborn and aimless as real sheep are. There's hardly ever a person you find in the Bible who seems in any way worthy of being called by God. Think of Abraham. 
really don't have much information about his background. We know his genealogy, but God chooses to reveal himself to Abraham and say, I'm going to bless you. And it's not based on anything in Abraham. But what about Moses? God appears to Moses when he's around 80 years old. After spending 40 years as a shepherd, after killing a man in Egypt. Or what about David? He's the youngest of all his brothers. He's not even invited to the family dinner with the prophet of God, and yet God chooses him and anoints him as king. And then you fast forward to the New Testament, thinking about Jesus' disciples. Well, you can't think of a more eclectic and and random assortment of guys, but those are who Jesus chose to, to start his church with. And then Paul. Paul was an important person, but at the same time, he was violently persecuting and destroying the church of God. And yet, God reached down and called Paul. And so, don't overlook the calling of the shepherd in your life. It's the calling that has brought any of us out of darkness into light. So Jesus gathers his sheep. And then secondly, Jesus protects his sheep. Jesus protects his sheep. In verse 10, it says, A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Look at the stark contrast there. The, the thieves and the robbers only have one goal or end goal, destroying the sheep. They may use them and abuse them first, but eventually it leads to them being destroyed. They terrorize the sheep. But what does the good shepherd do? He gives life and life abundantly. This isn't just a surviving. This is also thriving. The picture here is of sheep that are well taken care of. Picture a sheep in your mind that you would look at and say, wow, someone must really take care of that sheep. It's abundant life. This is a shepherd who cares deeply for his flock and wants to see them thrive and, and wants their joy to be full in him. You see, there's only one voice that the sheep can follow that will lead to this kind of life, and it's the voice of the good shepherd. The good shepherd gathers his sheep, he protects his sheep, but then that protection extends to finally the good shepherd actually laying down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus used two, uses two metaphors for himself, the, the door and the shepherd, but he also uses two metaphors for the Jewish leaders as well. They're represented first by the thieves and robbers, but then he also talks about a hired hand. He refers to them as hired hands. The hired hand has no relationship with the sheep. There's no affection or care there, so when the hired hand is out with the sheep and then a wolf comes to snatch a sheep, that hired hand He's not putting himself between the sheep and the wolf. He's gone. He's protecting himself when danger shows up. He's not going to risk anything for these sheep. But the good shepherd actually gives his life in order to protect the sheep. I mean, what love do we have here? And I want to draw your attention to verse 14 and 15. He says, I am the good shepherd. He repeats it again for emphasis. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Look at the intimacy that's in that verse. If you're a born-again believer, he knows you. You're not just another random person, another ant on this planet. He knows you. You are known by the almighty God of the universe. There's an intimate relationship there, as intimate as possible. 
You know, the Christian faith is not merely theology and understanding concepts. Though you could certainly use theology and the Bible to explain and understand much of salvation, but it's equally as experiential. If someone were to ask you, how do you know you're saved? Your answer shouldn't be because I asked Jesus into my heart one time. Your answer should be more along the lines of, I know I'm saved because I know my Savior and my Savior knows me. I feel his presence on an ongoing basis. I feel his guidance constantly. He blesses me in my joys and he comforts me in my sorrows. And I'll admit that I'm usually promoting theological understanding and spiritual maturity and the pursuit of truth. I think that's what I'm about. I think those things are paramount. But if you aren't also experiencing God in a real way, then those other things just become hollow concepts. But Jesus says, I know my own, and my own know me. And then look at this. He says, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. How well does Jesus and the Father know each other? Pretty well. There can be no more intimate of relationships than the Father and the Son, and yet it seems like Jesus is saying that his relationship with us, his sheep, is meant to reflect that same intimacy that he has with the Father. So be amazed once again that the love of God, the love he has for his people is is this great, that he knows you. And God's love is so great that he isn't just calling sheep from his chosen people, the Jews, but he extends his grace. And as verse 16 tells us, he also has sheep that are of a completely different fold. And he has to bring them into in order that he'll have one flock with one shepherd. This other fold is the Gentiles, anyone non-Jewish, which I think is probably most of us in here. So praise God that he had another fold. No one will ever be saved, whether Jew or not, by anything other than faith in Jesus Christ. There is one shepherd and one flock, one shepherd to lead a person into life. And now look at verse 18. Look at verse 18 and try to imagine that you don't know the full story yet. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and have authority to take it up again. If Jesus wanted these Jews to take him seriously, this is not the right thing to say. He says he has the authority to lay down his life, which that's fair enough. All of us do as well. If we were in a situation that called for it, we have the right and ability to sacrifice ourselves to lay down our life for someone else if we so choose to do it. But who can also say, I have the authority to take it back up again? If I give my life for someone else, that's it. There's no, there's no coming back for me. So how can Jesus say this? He's, he's crossing into unknown territory here. It's one thing to raise someone else from the dead. It's another thing completely to raise yourself from the dead. So what power and authority and sovereignty Jesus is is saying that he has to say, I can lay my life down and I can take it back up. This is truly the Son of God, as John wants us to see. But now also look at this verse from the other perspective of knowing how the story ends. How can Jesus say no one takes his life from him? I mean, it's clearly recorded in the Gospels that the Pharisees, they use false accusations and manipulated the Roman authorities into crucifying Jesus. 
It's the Pharisees that preside over his hearing. It's the Roman soldiers that pin him to the cross with nails and pierce his side with a spear. So how can he say no one took his life from him? And it's because it was the mission from the very beginning. The cross wasn't an accident. It was the mission. Jesus was born so that he could die. And just thinking in terms of John's gospel that we've been in, it was merely weeks into Jesus' ministry that he gave the first allusion to the cross in chapter 2 when he told the Jews that tear down this temple and in three days I will raise it back up. Of course, they had no clue what he was talking about, but Jesus knew exactly what his mission was. They didn't take his life from him. If they had, then this would have been the worst story. It would have been a tragedy for a promising religious figure, maybe the son of God, to just be dead and still in a tomb. But, but the tomb is empty still today. It would have been a failure, but Jesus could have called a thousand angels to his side in a millisecond. That's even one of the ways that Satan tries to tempt Jesus in Luke 4. He tried to tempt Jesus to use his power for his own gain. So yes, those soldiers and those Pharisees are completely guilty of murdering the Son of God, but at the same time, Jesus isn't a victim. He willingly laid his life down. And why? He says, for his sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And according to verse 18, it was the charge received from the Father. It was the mission handed down for the Son to fulfill. God, in his infinite wisdom, solved our problem with sin by sending his only son to die in our place. And the son did it willingly. Jesus went to the cross and bore our sin and shame, as the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him. He took God's wrath due us upon himself. The guilty walked away free and the innocent died. But he didn't stay dead, but on his own authority raised himself back to life and now gives life to those who believe in his name. And not just any life, but abundant life. That's the good shepherd. And I want to encourage you to take some time this week and meditate on this. Think on this. Let your imagination really go wild with what it means that God is our good shepherd. There's so much more in that metaphor than what's even contained in chapter 10. Just think about Psalm 23 and all the truth it has in it. You know, God uses these word pictures and these metaphors and analogies on purpose because things like that tend to ingrain itself in our mind much better than, than just plain words. And there's so many aspects of God's character that this emphasizes. Because the shepherd not only gathers and protects his sheep, but we know he also guides his sheep. He leads the sheep into good pasture. He shows them the way to go. I find this one particularly comforting for myself because Picture God leading you throughout your life, through good times and bad times, through times of safety and times of danger. But he's there guiding you all along because he's the shepherd. The shepherd also nourishes and cares for the sheep. Think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack anything. He leads me into green pastures beside still waters. God wants to guide us into life. He wants us to follow his, life, his voice into the abundant life of joy that transcends the problems of this world. And he longs to lead us into deeper communion with himself. And so if someone asked you, who is Jesus? You could say he is the good shepherd. 
That's who Jesus says he is. He invites us to view him like this, and he receives glory in it when we do. Our good shepherd gathers his sheep. He protects his sheep. He lays down his life for his sheep. That's who our Savior is. And the call for us today is to heed the voice of the shepherd. And maybe this morning you're hearing the voice of the shepherd for the very first time. Respond by following his voice. If you're feeling God stirring something in you, and I'd love to talk with you about salvation and the gospel and what it is to follow Jesus after the service in just a moment. I'll stay down front as long as, as, long as I need to. Follow the call of the good shepherd. There's no other path to life. There's no other leader that can lead you into the abundant life. And for us as Christians, just be amazed again at who our Savior is. What an awesome Savior we serve. What an awesome God that we've been adopted by. And just wait until next week when we finish chapter 10. We'll look at the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. That is the understanding that you can't lose your salvation. It's often, uh, I would say, an undervalued or underestimated truth, but one that we'll see next week that should produce an incredible amount of confidence and assurance and trust in God our Savior. But for today, be amazed at who our Savior is. He is our good shepherd. Would you join me in praying?